Lord, invite you into this place, invite you into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds, just to consume us with all of you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just fall afresh upon us, that you would just pour yourself out upon us now, that, that we would just empty ourselves out of, of us and we would allow you to just fill us and to just uh, enable and empower us. I do pray that as I'm up here, that I would just allow you to take control, that I would not get in your way, that I would not hinder you in any way, but that I would just yield to you and to what you want to share with your people. It's all about you, Holy Spirit. It's all about allowing you to work powerfully in and through us. We know that you can and we know that you will if we're willing to do, to allow you to do, Lord. And so we just thank you, Lord. I pray now for, for just uh, the word that goes out tonight, that it would just be powerful, that it would just touch us, that it would transform us, that we would allow your word to do your perfect work in us. I pray that truth would be revealed. I pray that we would be set free from lies and deception. I pray that your word would just come to life and it would just do its powerful work within our hearts. So we just give you this evening. We give you our time, our, our, just our hearts and our minds. And, and may our spiritual eyes open up to see and to believe. We love you, we praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are in uh, Deuteronomy, and as uh, most of us know, we are, uh, we are going verse by verse, and uh, today we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 27. And as we go through Deuteronomy chapter 27, uh, we're going to be talking about the, the Word of God tonight. We're going to be talking about the, the you know what, the, the powerful Word of God. We're going to talk about the Word of God as uh, as as it is intended to be talked about today, just so that we know how relevant it is for us, how important it is for us. The Word of God is key in our lives. And today we're going to be talking about it. And I did want to share this with you. God has His thoughts on the Word of God, and God wants to know what His thoughts are regarding the Word of God. He wants us to know His thoughts. He wants us to know how He regards His Word. He wants us to know what He thinks of His Word. And I'm going to read you some scriptures. And the first scripture I'm going to read to you is from Matthew 24, verse 35. And in Matthew 24, verse 35, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. See, what the Lord is saying, you know what? Everything that you see around you will pass. But when it, when it comes to His Word, those will live for eternity. His word will continue to move on. It has no ending. It will never pass away. When it talks to Matthew 4 verse 4, he says that it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's think about that, right? Let's think about what he is saying. He's saying, you know what? You can live by anything else, but what is key, what is relevant, what is most important is the word of God. See, we need food to sustain us, right, to allow us to keep going. But God is saying, you know what? There's something more important than food. And that is the Word of God. You know what? God places such an importance on the Word of God that for us to understand and to know that if God is saying that this Word is so important, that it is, it is greater, it is more needed than food, then we are to pay attention to that. We are to, you know what, to take it in and to understand this. And then we know from Hebrews 4 verse 12, we know that it says that for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirits and of joints and marrow and, a, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. You know, we are reminded here of how important the Word of God, that it is living and powerful. And one thing about the Word of God, as it goes out, it is alive. It speaks to each and every one of us differently. It reveals so much to us. And one thing that we know about the Word of God is that as it goes out, it accomplishes its perfect work in our lives. You know, one thing about the Word of God is that it transforms us as we hear the Word of God, as we yield to the Word of God. You know, we are not to conform ourselves to the ways or, or the things of this world. But we are, we are to allow His Word to transform us, to move us. You know, as we read just these verses, the Bible is filled with so many other verses that expresses the magnificence of God's Word. 
We have so many other verses that talk about the great importance of the Word of God. You know, the power that is behind the Word of God. And one thing that we know about God is God wants us to meditate on this Word. See, we have such a glorious Word here, and God is saying, you know what? This is what you live by. This is what's most important. This is exactly what will never die. And so for us, the Word of God is key. And as we think about it, right, as we think, okay, if the Word of God is key, what are we doing with the Word of God? Let me ask you, what are you doing with the Word of God? If you see how important Jesus talks about the Word, how important, you know what, he, he references His Word and how glorious and how powerful it is. So what do we do with the Word of God? Are we reading the Word of God? Are we meditating on the Word of God? You know, the Word of God is so important that are we hungering for it? You know what? Are we in love with the Word of God that we say, you know what? We cannot live without it. I need it in the morning. I need it throughout the day. Is this the way we look at the Word of God? This is what God is trying to tell us. The Word is so key in your lives. You know what? It's, it's greater than anything else. And we're going to talk about how he illustrates that very point. But I want you to know this. When you think about the Word of God, right? When we talked about hungering for the Word of God, you know what? Is it something that you wake up and say, you know what? I need the Word of God. Or are you thinking about, you know, French toast and pancakes when you wake up and, and you know what, and eggs and bacon and all this stuff? Or are you thinking about, you know what? I need to read the Word of God. You know what, I need to read it and, and meditate on it. And throughout the day, are you, are you hearing it on the radio or are you just reading scriptures or whatever the case may be? This is where God wants us to be when it comes to his word. You know what, he wants us to love the word. He wants us to love it more than anything else because he knows the importance of the word of God and how it moves in our lives. The Word of God is so important for our church. You know, when it comes to the Calvary chapels, how important is the Word of God for us? Let's think about this, right? You know, for us, we know the power of the Word. And this is why we give you the Word the way we give it, expositionally, right? We give it to you verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. See, we know that the Word is going to do such ama an amazing work in your lives. In unison with the Holy Spirit, we know that this is what we need, right? And without it, what good are we? You know what? The Word of God is so important because it reveals the will of God, the mind of God, the truth of God, the plans of God, the hope of God, the love of God, the mercies of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. It reveals everything that God is. And this is what God wants us to take in. Why wouldn't he want us to know all of this, right? This is his plan for us. He wants, he wants to keep nothing from us. And so he says, you know what? You have my word. You have everything that you need. See, we should be desiring this more than anything else in our lives. When we think about what we want most important, right? What is it that you want most important in your life? You know, some of us will say, uh, you know what? I, I need a job or I need a spouse or I want kids or maybe I need money or I need a new car. I need a house. I want to reveal to you through the scriptures the mindset that God has when it comes to his word and how you should be thinking about it. In Psalm 119, in Psalm 119, verse 72, it tells us there that the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. And Psalm 119, 127 also says, Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold. Yes, than fine gold. 
we think to ourselves, right? I mean, if we had a gold coin, especially today, right? How much is gold worth today? Gold is worth a lot, right? Have any of you gone to pawn, or not pawn, to sell some of your, uh, some of your gold? I know I did it, and Nancy and I actually, Nancy kept telling me, she kept telling me over and over again, you know what? I have this gold that I don't want, and we should go and trade it in, right? We should go and get some money for it. And I'm like, Nancy, they're going to rip us off. I mean, you paid a lot more for this stuff than, than what we're going to get back, right? And she says, but I don't use it. And I, So I finally caved in, right? And I said, okay, let's go trade it in. And little did I know, we came back with hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And I was like, wow. But the Bible says... That his word, his commandments are greater than gold. He says it's greater than, than the most precious mineral that there is or whatever it is. It's greater than that. Why is it greater than these things? Let's think about this, right? Let's talk about this. Can gold buy you happiness? Think about that, right? You know what? Can gold change you? Can it transform you? Can it make you better? You know, as we think about this, right? Can gold make you more like God? Can it transform you into the image of God? It can't do any of that, right? But the Word of God can. See, the Word of God, there is a power behind it because it is living and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And one thing we know about the Word of God is that the Word of God sets you free. See, one thing about the Word of God, right? Gold will never tell you whether something is true or not. But the Word of God will. See, the Word of God will tell us whether something is true or it's not, whether it's false, whether it's deception, whether they're lies. And so one thing that the Word of God does, it sets us free. You know, we know that, I don't know if you know this, but I mean, if you talk about people that come into money, there's a common theme that they have when they, when they come into money. And those I'm talking about those that, that uh, aren't serving the Lord and those that, that have no relationship with them, they say that, you know what? As soon as I came into money, I was able to buy so many evil and wicked things. You know what? I now had access to drugs. I now had access to women. I had access to dope. I had access to alcohol. I had access to all of this. When I didn't have money, I didn't have these things. But as soon as I got money, guess what? I was buying all these things, right? See, when it comes to the Word of God, the Word of God makes us perfect, and it makes us complete. And it says there, and let's turn to 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, you and I are thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, we have the Word of God that, that corrects us, that teaches us, that instructs us, that reproves us, right? This is what the Word of God does, and what it's doing, it's, it's instructing us and making us complete for every good work, where we know that gold and silver and those things aren't ever going to do this. See, when it comes to the Word of God, the Word of God is filled with treasure. And one thing about the Word of God, we know that in Him is all wisdom and knowledge. This is what the Word of God tells us. And as we're reminded of all this, this is why the Lord is going to remind us today how important the Word of God is. 
You know, for us, we should never be putting the Word of God down. We should have a hunger and a desire for the Word of God to learn it, to know it, to meditate on it, to ponder it, not just to do it as a religious exercise, but to meditate and ponder on it when you read it. Are you really thinking about what the Word of God is telling us? Have you ever done it as a religious exercise? I know I did. I know I have. Right? Where it just becomes routine, right? You say, you know what? I need to read the Word of God. So you just pick it up. You read it. You don't ponder on it. You don't meditate on it. And then you forget what you read. See, there are those times when you should just ponder and meditate on what the Word of God says. When you read something, you should just stop and think about it, ponder it, remember it. Because these are the things that the Lord is revealing to you. See, you and I should love the Word of God that we want to meditate on it and ponder it. Because as you do these things, it just sits well with your soul. It bears deep roots within your heart. And you begin to live it out. See, the Word of God is just such an amazing thing that God has given us. It's who He is and He's revealed this to us. And with that, as I've given you just the intro to what we're going to be talking about, and I know it was a long intro, but let's begin to read in verse 27. Deuteronomy 27 verse, verse 1 says, Now Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God of your fathers promised you. What we have here is we have Moses and the leaders of Israel. They make a command. What is a command? Let's think about this, right? What is a command? We have here that they're giving a command, right? A command is a direct order. That's what a command is. It is a direct order. It is a command given by somebody for you to follow. Okay, they're giving you a direct order. I want you to follow this. And so what is it that he's asking them to do? Here he's saying that, you know what? I want you to keep all the commandments which you're hearing today. See, Moses and the leaders realize the importance of the commands. We're talking about here the Word of God. See, many of us, when we go somewhere, we get excited about this new place, right? Let's think about this, right? How many of you have gone on vacation? And I think every single one of us should have our hands up, right? I think we've all done one vacation, whether it be far or near, wherever it was, I think we've all gone on vacation. And one thing that you know is you have people telling you all these things before you leave, right? Your mom, your sister, your spouse, your family, your friends, they say, you know what, give me a call when you get to this new place, right? And when you get to this new place, what happens when you're in the new place? You forget everything they told you, right? Because you're like, wow, let's check this out. Let's go there and here and there. And then down the road, you say, oh, man, I was supposed to tell my mom or my spouse that I landed or my kids or my friends. See, what happens to us is that we tend to forget things. We have very short-term memories. We forget a lot of things. And so what we have is that God knows this, and God's very understanding of us. He knows that you and I have short-term memories. You and I forget. You know, we forget things. We just, that's the way we are. We just, you know what, we just, we just don't remember things. And so what God told the Israelites to do is, you know what, you're going to go into this beautiful land, right? It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and you're going to have all this fruit, these amazing things fruits and this amazing place that you're going to be so excited about it that you're going to forget my word. You're going to forget the things that I shared with you. And I don't want you to forget the word because my word is so important. It is key to your life. And so he tells him, he says, you know what? 
I want you to whitewash with lime. You know what? And I want you to whitewash these rocks, these big old rocks. And I want you to whitewash them with lime. And, and when they would do that, it's, they would, you know, when, when somebody whitewashes with lime and, and some glue on there, it, it makes it all white, right? Whether you're going to do stones, whether you're going to do bricks, whether you're going to do uh, 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 fences, whatever you do, right? It's going to make it white. And so the Lord is saying, I want you to whitewash it with lime so that you can write these commands. And you know what commands he was talking about? He was talking about the book of Deuteronomy. Imagine this whole book, they had to write it on stone. And they had to put it there on Mount Ebal. And what they were supposed to do is when they crossed over, right? They were supposed to put these stones there. And they were supposed to write the words of the law so that they wouldn't forget it. See, one thing that, that I have in my house, and many of you have seen this, those that have come to my house, and I know some of you have the same thing in your homes, but in your homes, do you have scriptures written all over the place? Do you have them in your walls, pictures, kitchen, rooms, whatever the case may be, right? You have scriptures written there, right? Why do you have scriptures written? Let's think about this, right? Why is it that you want to have scriptures all over your house? You want to have scriptures there so that you could be reminded, right, of those truths that are written down. So that they could sink in, right? So that you can have them whenever you need them. And whenever you look at them, you're reminded of the truth of God. You know, it's funny. We did some cement work right in my, by my driveway recently. And the kids were like, hey, Dad, what scripture are we going to write there? And I thought about it. And the same scripture that I have in most of my house is the same one we wrote there. It's from Joshua. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. See, whenever Nancy cooks, we put a big old plaque there in front of her. Right? So when she's cooking, every time she looks up, she has this, these words on the wall. It's a stone that we put into the wall that you can't take it down. So as when we move on and somebody wants it out, they're going to have to rip off that wall to get it down. But whenever she sees that, she's reminded of one important fact, one important truth. The fact is, is that we serve the Lord in our house. And this is what God wants all of us, right? I mean, this is where he wants us. And you know what? And I know there's some of us or some of you spouses that, that tell your wives, enough of the scriptures, right? There's too many. They're all over the place. There's never enough. You know why? As we look at these things, as we look at these verses, we're reminded of the truth of God. See, when we think about this, the more you read the word and the more you study the word and the more you have the word before you, you begin to memorize it. See, when we were kids, you remember going to grammar school, right? Everybody here went to school, right? I don't think there's anybody here that didn't go to school. Every single one of us went to school. And one of the things that they taught us in school was our timetables, right? Remember learning your timetables? Wasn't that one of the hardest things to do? You had to memorize all your ones, all your twos, all your threes, all your fours, all your fives, all the way to twelves. And what were the hardest ones? I think the hardest ones were always the twelves, the, what else, the, uh, the sevens, the sixes, right? Those were the hardest ones. But you knew that, you know what, I had to do this. It was something that I must do, right? We must memorize these 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 timetables, because if we didn't memorize them, then we couldn't move ahead, right? When it came to, you know, math and other things, right? Because if we didn't learn that, that was foundational and it had to be done. 
And you realize this later on when you grew up, right? Because when you saw something at the store and you saw that it said $3 on it, and you said, oh, wow, if I buy three of them, then that's going to cost me $12. 12 9 Okay, I want to make sure you guys... I didn't fail. I did that on purpose. I was waiting to see who would correct me. But see, you knew that, hey, you know what? As I was now grown up, I can use this, and it just became part of your normal life. See, this is the way the Word of God works. The more you read it, the more you memorize it, the more you will apply it to your life. That's what it is. That's the simplicity of all of it. See, if we realize how important it is and we read it and we're constantly going over it and over it, then we are going to live it out. We're going to apply it to our lives. And this is what God wants us to do. See, God says, don't live by bread alone, but you live by the word that proceeds out of my mouth. That's what you live by. He says, my word's going to last forever. My, he says, my word's sharper and more powerful than any two-edged sword. And one thing that we know about the Word of God, and this is so key when it comes to Christian people, church people, is that the more that we know the Word of God, the more that our faith will grow. Why is that? How does that happen? How is it that our faith grows when it comes to the Word of God? See, as you begin to, as you're placed in a situation, we all have struggles, we all have, you know, our issues, and we all have our problems, right? And we know that this is the way life is, and we know that God is, is building us up, and He's making us more like Him. He's, make, he's perfecting us, and He's growing us, and He's wanting us to just hang on to Him, right? And to stand and to rest in these things. But unless we know the Word of God, to hang on to these things, to hang on to His promises, to have hope in Him, to just hang on to these words like never before. And when we do that, we see that our faith grows. We see that it becomes just finer than silver and gold. As we keep reading, let's read in verse 4. In verse 4 it says, Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on, on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you today. And you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings, and you shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God, and you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. What we have here is you have Mount Ebal. And Mount Ebal is there in the land of Canaan. It's not too far from Jerusalem. But what we have here at Mount Ebal is that God says, I want you to set up these stones, okay? The stones that, you know, where you wrote the law. I want you to put them up. And I also want you to build an altar there. An altar made by stones, but with no iron tool. You know, as I thought about this, right, I was thinking to myself, why is it that the Lord would want no iron tool. He says, you know what? I just want you to build the altar and nothing else made by your hands to hone it, to carve it, to do none of that. I just want you to just put up the stones and give me a burnt offering and a peace offering. Right? I gave you the law and I want these offerings made to me. When you think about this, right? Why would Jesus not want anything made by the hands of man. Let's think about this, right? When we think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, 
the atoning death of Jesus Christ, we know that he was a perfect lamb, right? We know that he was a perfect sacrifice. We know that he was a sufficient sacrifice. We know that he was a complete sacrifice. We know that he was perfect in all things. If we realize this, right? We know that it was complete and there was nothing else that needed to be done in his sacrifice. When man gets involved, he adds nothing to it. Remember, Jesus is a complete sacrifice. Jesus is the perfect and the sufficient sacrifice. There was nothing else that was needed. See, he doesn't need man when it comes to the sacrifice. Because it was perfect and it was complete and it was finished by his work. When we begin to work, when we begin to do things, that's not sacrifice. That's not perfect. That's not giving all the credit and the glory and the honor and the sufficiency in what Christ did. See, Jesus is saying, you know what? I don't need your hands. I don't need your work. I don't need you to do anything here because I did it all for you. And this is what Jesus was saying. When he says, don't take your hands, don't take a tool, don't do any work for my sacrifice because I did it all. See, as we think about this, right? When we think, of the words that Jesus said on the cross. He said, it is finished. The work was completed. He did the work. You know, you and I are saved by grace through faith, right? As we think about this, right? He goes on to say it is a gift of God. There are no works that you can do that, that can save you, right? That you can boast in. It is all done by me. See, man's hands cannot be involved when it comes to the sacrifice of Christ because he is all sufficient. He is perfect. It is complete in the work that he does. When he said, you know what? I want you to get a burnt offering. I want you to know something about the burnt offering. The burnt offering that was sacrificed to the Lord, did you know that they gave him everything of that animal? It was done and given to him. It was devoted to him. You know what the burnt offering symbolized? It symbolized total devotion to the Lord. When they put that animal, they put that animal in the place of man, right? And they were saying, God, as we put this animal, we lay hands on this animal, we transfer ourselves to him, and what we're doing is we are giving total devotion to you. This is what they were doing. And in giving total devotion, guess what they were doing? They were saying, you know what, Lord? You are our God, and there is no other God besides you. And you know what we're going to do in total devotion? We are going to be devoted to the words that you say. We are going to do them. We're going to walk in them. This is exactly what they were saying. They also had a peace offering, right? And this peace offering was given to give thanks to the Lord, to express their gratitude for all that he had done. Who was the one that delivered them? Who was the one that conquered their enemies? Who was the one that gave them victory over all? It was the Lord. And so this peace offering was a way of saying, Lord, thank you. You know what? As we have fellowship with you, we have peace with you. You did it all. It was a time of rejoicing is what the word says in verse 7. But the Lord makes an interesting point in verse 8. He said, you shall write very plainly on the stones are the words of this law. Let's talk about this, right? Because this is key when it comes to the Word of God. He says, write it plainly so that all can see, so that all can read. When it comes to the teaching of the Word of God, you know what God wants? God wants His Word to be taught clearly and with simplicity. 
The word of God is not difficult at all. But what happens to man is that we like to make it sometimes very what? Difficult. But God is saying, you know what? I want it to be plainly. I want it to be simple. I just want it to be clear. You and I are never to complicate the word of God. When we teach, we are to teach with simplicity. We want everybody to understand, right? How difficult is the Word of God? The Word of God is not very difficult. The problem is, is that we begin to make it difficult. We begin to talk about all these other things, but the simplicity of the gospel is what? Is that God loves you. Your sin separated you from Him. And because He loves you so much, He sent His Son to die for your sins. And if you believe in Him, you will be forgiven of your sins. And you will once again restore fellowship with God. But you got to believe in my Son who paid the price for your sins. And if you believe, then there will be an evidence of that belief. And that evidence of that belief is going to be what? Walking in the truth of the gospel, right? Walking in the things that God has asked us to do. That's the evidence. The fact is, is that if he is truly your Lord, if he is truly your master, your savior, then guess what? Each one of us want to do what the master says, right? Isn't that what we want to do? We want to do what the Lord says, right? And that's what the Lord is asking us to do. I redeemed you by my blood. I bought you. You now belong to me. And if your confession and if your belief, if it was true, then you would be glad to do as I say. You know what? I saved you from the pit. I took you out of that garbage. I took you out of the vomit. You know what? I took you out of all that. You know what? That sin that was destroying you. That you made a mess out of your life. And I pulled you out of it. And I gave you a new standing before God. Why wouldn't we give him our hearts? Why wouldn't we do as he says? Why wouldn't we follow his word? Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because of everything that he's done for us. You know what? The fact is, is that we don't deserve what we have, do we? You and I don't deserve anything that God has given us. Let's talk about this grace, right? The favor that God has upon us. All the spiritual blessings that we receive. We don't deserve it. Look at your life. Look at my life. I don't deserve. I don't deserve what God has given me. But yet he freely gives it. He gives it to you because he loves you. He gives it to you because it is who he is. We, have a, we serve a gracious God. We serve a merciful God. You know what? Even though you offended God, he, he just showers you with his kindness and his forgiveness and his love. That's the God that we serve. In Psalm 119, verse 18, it says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all time. You know, as we think about this, you know, the longing, the hunger, the, the desire for his word. Let us have a heart that loves the word of God and that wants the word of God more than anything else. As we keep reading in verse 9, in Deuteronomy 27, it says, Then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes with I, which I command you today. Just so you're clear, 
the first generation, remember them? They actually made a commitment to God. They had a, you know what, they agreed to do something. And, and I'm going to read that to you. I want to read it to you because we know what happened to these people. And it's from Exodus chapter 19. In verse 17, I mean, in verse 7, it says, So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words, words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. See, the people responded to the Lord and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. Unfortunately, we know what happened to these people, right? These people rebelled. These people complained. These people sinned. These people didn't trust the Lord. They said, Lord, you know what? We hear your words, but we don't trust them. We don't believe them. We don't have faith in them. And so what they started doing, they went after other idols. See, they didn't follow through with their commitment to the Lord. So what did the Lord have to do with this first generation? He had to, you know what? Destroy them, right? It took 40 years. On the 40th year, they were all destroyed. And he said now to the second generation that we're reading about now, and this is where we're at. And this is where they're making their commitment to the Lord. You know, when we think about this, let's talk about these commitments. See, many of us, we want, you know what, when we say yes to the Lord, we want all the blessings, don't we? You know what, we're here, we're, we're here to be forgiven by God, we're here to surrender ourselves to the Lord, and we did that, and we said yes. But there's many people that, they accept the blessings from God, and they want the blessings from God, and they want the privileges from God, but they don't want any responsibility with it. What am I talking about when I talk about responsibility? See, they don't want to do as he says. People want God. They want the blessings of God. They want everything that God has to offer them, right? But they say, you know what, Lord? I don't like those responsibilities. So you know what? I'm not going to do what your word is saying. You know what? I love you and all this, but I don't want to do them. I want everything you have to give me. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to take it in, but I'm not going to do them. See, there are many people in the churches today that are thinking this way. They're saying with their lips that I love you, Lord, but with their actions, they're doing something different. See, they're practicing sin and they're living in sin. And this is what the Lord is saying. You know what? If you truly love me, you're going to do as I say, right? You're not going to be perfect, and I know you're going to trip, and I know you're going to slip, and I know you're going to mess up. But God is saying, don't be practicing sin. Do as I say. You have my words. You know how important my words are. You know what I think of my word. I just want you to do what I say. And you know how amazing God is? God says, you know what? I know that in you, it is so hard for you to do as I say. Right? Because in us, we're flesh, right? And we're still battling with this, this, this flesh, right? And we're constantly in a battle with the flesh that we're in. And so what the Lord says is, you know what? I know that you guys have a hard time. You know what, there's, you may say yes, but you need a power that, that'll help you. So God says, you know what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you the third person of me. And I'm going to allow him to live in you. To help you, to teach you, to empower you, and to enable you 
to live a life that is pleasing to me. See, Jesus knows that apart from him, we can't do anything. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to give you a part of me. And I'm going to allow him to live in you. And I'm going to allow him to strengthen you and to help you to do as I say. John 14, 26 tells us, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Imagine that. Not only is he going to help you, but he's going to remind you of the Word of God. Because that's how important the Word of God is. As we think about this, right? As we think about how important the Word of God is. God is saying, you know what? When I live in you, I'm going to bring it to remembrance. And I'm going to help you understand the Word of God, right? Because unless we're born again, we can't understand the Word of God, right? I mean, it's, it doesn't make sense to us, does it? How many of you, do you remember before you came to know the Lord, you tried reading the Bible and you couldn't understand it? I think that was most of us, right? I don't think anyone here understood it because the Word of God tells us that you wouldn't understand it. And so we know that we couldn't. But once the Spirit of God came to dwell in us, it all came to life, didn't it? It all made sense. We began to understand it. We began to read it. And we began to say, wow, look at all of this. Look at what it's saying. Look at what it means. Look at what it's telling me. All of a sudden, things are making sense. All of a sudden, you're saying, wow, I get it. I get it. Praise the Lord. Do you remember that time? I know I do. And it was awesome. And it's awesome. Even today when God will reveal things to me, I'm thinking to myself, man, this is amazing, Lord, how everything just comes together. How it all just speaks of you and, and it just all just makes so much sense. And it's so simple. It's so simple for even thick-headed knuckle brains to understand. See, the Lord tells us that I want my word to live in your heart and in your mind. You know what? I want you to have tablets of my word in your heart. You know, the Spirit of God will bring it to life. That's what he does. He teaches us all truth. We just read that, right? He teaches us the words of God. And what's so amazing about this, too, is that how many of you, I mean, as, and I think most of us have done this, and I know everyone here would have done this. When you're sinning, you have the Holy Spirit just convicting you of your sin. You know, he's reminding you by his word the things that you shouldn't be doing. Do you remember these things? You know what, as you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, all of a sudden the Spirit of God convicts you and He gives you His Word and He tells you, remember what God says about this? And then you're like, oh. And then the first thing you do is you, you say, Lord, I'm sorry. See, this is what the conviction does, right? It brings us to our knees. It brings us to the cross. There's another guy that's telling you on the other side that he's saying, you know what, God doesn't love you anymore. Because of your mess up, because of your slip up, you know what? God doesn't want to do, I want to have anything to do with you. But we don't have to listen to that voice, right? Because we know that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And to those that do as he says is what it says. You know, I want to read something. I want to go, because... I don't know if you know this, but Psalm 119 is a psalm that if you want to know how God looks at his word, you can read this. It's all about the word of God. And what I want to do is I want to read to you the first 11 verses from Psalm 119. 
And it's actually the longest psalm too, and it's right in the middle. It says, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. They also do no inequity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed. When I look into all your commandments, I will praise you with uprighteousness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart. That I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I'm sorry, I had to keep reading. You read. You read this psalm. And you know that this writer, this psalmist, loved the word of God. You could sense it. You can hear it. You can feel it. This man loved the Word of God. Do we love the Word of God the way he loved it? You know what? Do we look at the Word of God the way he was looking at it? You know, the will of God is for us to love his Word. The will of God is to know his Word. The will of God is to walk in his Word. As I go back to Deuteronomy... Let's keep reading. In verse 11, it says, And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Garrison to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to, the, to curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or gold, oh, I'm sorry, let's finish at verse 14. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel. So you understand what's going on here. You have Mount Garrison. Mount Garrison was south to the Mount Ebal. And the valley of Shechem was right in the middle. And this is actually where Abraham built his first altar. It was in Shechem. And so you have Mount Garrison and you have Mount Ebal. And so you have... On the Mount of Blessings, which is Mount Garrison, you have the six tribes, which is Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Joseph. Well, we know it was Ephraim and Manasseh, Benjamin. And these were all the sons of Leah and Rachel. And then on the Mount of Curses, you had the, Mount, uh, you had the sons of Jacob's maidservants, with the exception of Reuben and Zebulun, which were the sons of Leah. And the way it worked is that the Levites would stand in the middle, and it was like an amphitheater, the way it's set up. The mound on one side and the other mound on the other side, and in the middle was Shechem. And so when the Levites would speak, guess what happens? They would hear it. The blessings, the cursings. If you do what the Word of God says, or if you don't do what the Word of God says, this is, what it's, this is what's going on. For whatever reason... Moses only writes the cursings here. And then he's going to talk about the blessings. And then he's going to repeat more cursings, more curses. We're going to read right now some curses, right? And we're going to read them quickly because we're running out of time. As we read here the curses, you're going to get a sense of what these are. Let's read in verse 15. It says, Curse is the one who makes a carved or, or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And the people shall answer and say, Amen. What does Amen mean? So be it. That's what it means. It says, Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who makes the blind 
to wander off the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice, do the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister and daughter of his father or his daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. I want you to see something that was very common here. In all of these acts of disobedient or acts of sin, these are this is what is done in secret. Think of it. Think of what he said here. He says, those that make a golden image secretly shall be cursed. Those who treat his mother and his father with contempt, dishonoring him, shall be cursed. The one who moves his neighbor's landmark in secret, right? They don't want anybody to see that you're stealing your, pro your neighbor's property. They shall be cursed. Cursed is the one who makes the blind wander off the road. That's pretty sad, isn't it? The blind man that can't see, right? And he's walking. And so what they're doing is they're leading him off the road. Cursed is that man. It says, cursed is the one who perverts the justice. Do the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, those who can't defend themselves, who don't have the strength to do it, who don't have the means to do it. Cursed is that man. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he hasn't covered his father's bed. They do it in secret. Cursed is that man. He says, the one that sleeps with animals, bestiality, cursed is that man. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister and his mother-in-law. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to, to slain an innocent man, a hired assassin. These are all things done in secret. Things that people don't see. Let's talk about this, right? And let's talk about it quickly. We see that several commandments were broken here. Lies, murder, adultery, the first and second commandments, loving the Lord your God and having no golden, uh, no, uh, carving no other images that you bow down to and worship and so forth. Let's, these things that we're talking about here, the, most of these things were done in secret. And I think this is why Moses brought this up. Because the other stuff that we're going to see is more done in the open when we talk about the blessings and the cursings, but these were done in secret. See, cursed is that man. What they're saying is that God will curse that man that does these things in secret. See, there are many sins that people do that they don't think others are watching. You have many people that are living double lives as Christians. They're double-minded is what the Bible says. They're living in the flesh and trying to live in Christianity. See, when we have people like this, understand one thing, is that God sees. There are many people in churches today that are doing things behind closed doors. Know that God sees. There are many people that are having sex and fornicating and, and sleeping with, other, with, anim, with people and with other things, and God sees. See, you and I should have the mindset always that God is looking at us. See, many of us fear that people will see us, but that's not the right perspective. The right perspective that you and I are to have is that God is watching me. Do you remember Joseph? Do you remember that his wife, Potiphar's wife, she sent out all the servants and anybody she took them out of the house right why because she wanted to lie 
with this young stud. She says, I want this guy. And we know that she would have been a beautiful woman because Potiphar, wealthy man in the land of Egypt, he could have had any woman. And so we know that he's going to pick a beautiful woman to be his wife. So we know the challenge that Joseph had here, right? We have a woman that's always half-dressed trying to get him, right? And Joseph, what does Joseph do? She sends everybody out. She's half naked, and she tells Joseph, lie with me. No one's around. No one's going to look. No one's going to see us. No one's going to see what we're doing. Just lie with me. I want you badly. I want to have sex with you. And what does Joseph say? How can I sin and commit such wickedness against my God? He had the right perspective. He knew who was looking at him. He feared him the most than anyone else. You and I must have the same perspective. You and I must always have the mindset that God is looking. And how can we sin against our God? So you may think that you're getting away with things. But God is saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. Stop the foolishness. Stop the sin. Heed my word. Do as I say. I've given you the power. I've given you the ability. The last verse, and we're going to close with this. It says, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. See, what the Levites, when they were saying this, they were saying, you know, if we haven't mentioned anything, cursed is the one who doesn't do the commands of the Lord, all the words of the Lord. One thing that we know is that God mentions. God mentions in his word in James chapter 2 that if you break one of the law, one commandment, you've broken them all. See, any commandment that is broken automatically separates us from the presence of God. If you've done one thing against the word of God, if you miss that mark, if you miss that commandment, Guess what? You are separated from him. Paul mentions this in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, and let's open up our Bibles. I, you got to read this. In Galatians chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. This is what we just read right now. This is from Deuteronomy, the last verse. He says, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God, if it's evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. See, what we have here is we have Paul that is reminding them there is no one, not anyone, that can keep the law of God. That's why we need as a Savior. See, the law of God, all it ever did was point to Jesus, right? It was a tutor for the master that was coming. And the law of God has been given to us because it shows us that we are condemned because none of us can keep the law. And so Paul reminds us that, you know what? The just shall live by faith. You know what that means? Is that when you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are free. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. We are covered. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And this is what faith in him does. But then he goes on to say, Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. No matter what, because you and I are living now in faith, we are going to do as the law says. Not to be saved by the law, but because that is the evidence of our new relationship with him. As we look at this, as you and I think about this, the word of God is amazing. The word of God is like no other. And Psalm 1, which is one of my favorite psalms, it tells us, it tells us that the man who doesn't walk, stand, or sit with the ungodly, but if that man meditates and ponders on the word of God, that man shall bear some amazing fruit. He will be like a tree that is planted by the rivers where his leaves will never wither. Why is that? Because we stand on the rock. We stand firm on the, on the words of God. And our lives will bear these amazing fruits. Fruits for others to handle. Fruits for others to see. Fruit for others to taste. And that is what happens to us. See, the word of God is what we need to live by. And this is what the Lord was sharing with the Israelites. Write the word of down. Write the word down. Live by it. Because that's, that's what is pleasing to me. With that, we will close.